Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden and natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to do a couple of short announcements. First, I'm going to take an extended break from the podcast, which you've already probably thought was going on based on how sporadic episodes have been lately. I have lost my zest for the podcast and thought I might power through enough to come back, but I think I'm going to hit pause and have a nice rest for um, a lot of the rest of this year. I just want to think about how I want to make the podcast sustainable for me in the future, so stay with me. I will be back at some point. (laughs) The second announcement is that I will be writing a bit more, particularly in the newsletter. I have recently switched the newsletter over from MailChimp to Substack, which has a more interactive interface, allowing for comments, hearts, even like a chat and notes section where you can interact with newsletter writers. It's, it's kind of like blogging, but a little more formal. So I've really been enjoying that setup for another newsletter I write, and I think it will be a good fit for the podcast. Plus, you can upload audio there as well. So you can find the link to the newsletter in the show notes for this podcast episode at thegardenpathpodcast.com or if you're on Substack, you can search for In the Weeds or The Garden Path Podcast and it should pop up and you can subscribe there. I hope to be writing you know, once or twice a month and kind of see where that goes. I think I just need that mental brain break from all the podcasting. All right, with that said, I am thrilled to announce today's guest for this episode a return guest, Nancy Lawson. Nancy was first on the podcast in November of 2017 to talk about her book, The Humane Gardener. Nancy's book said so much of what I was already thinking and really pushed me to think even harder when it came to looking at the garden landscape as an ecosystem. So when I found out she was writing a new book, I was ecstatic. The new book is Wildscape, Trilling Chipmunks, Beckoning Blooms, Salty Butterflies, Other Sensory Wonders of Nature. The book is such a delight, and I hope it will have you wandering around your yard with new eyes and ears and nose and mouth taste. (laughs) Anyway, I hope it will make you approach your landscape in a different way. We have a delightful conversation about the book, as well as writing the book during the height of the pandemic. Talking with Nancy is always wonderful, and there are so many things to learn from her. All right, let's hear what Nancy has to say about Wildscape. Well, Nancy, I am excited to have you back on the podcast because you were here, ah, gosh, maybe four or five years ago for the first time and to talk about uh, The Humane Gardener. And now you have a completely different book out, same genre, same thread. Um, Maybe you want to reintroduce yourself uh, if people didn't listen to that episode, if they're never heard of you before, who you are and how you came to writing about nature and gardening. Sure. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a, a nature writer and advocate primarily. Um, and my main focus has been for a long time trying to get people interested in um, not only welcoming wildlife with plants, but using plants to um, resolve conflicts with wildlife. Because a lot of times people get upset with the larger animals, the mammals and such, and they don't realize that they could be planting differently, cultivating differently, and adding some other habitat elements that help them um, coexist. And so that's kind of was the main idea behind Human Gardener. And then I was, um, I guess, several years after it had been out, uh, I was kind of thinking about uh, what more I would want to write on the subject in a book. And 
I hadn't really thought of a topic yet. And I was talking to my husband one night and complaining as usual about all the leaf blowers and loud lawnmowers and, and such. And, um, and saying that I wish that people could really kind of understand how animals and plants experience the world and how much we're disrupting that with our noise pollution and other things. And my husband, Will, said, well, why don't you write a book about that? Yeah. And <laughs> there's all these books about sensory, our own senses in the garden, you know, like um, fragrant flowers and white night bloomers and stuff. And is there anything about gardening for the wildlife senses? So I thought that was a really good idea and a good way to frame it. So that's how Wildscape came about. Awesome. And so you were, I know you did a lot of research, reading a bunch of different books to gear up for this to, I guess, support all of the work that you were doing and seeing for yourself in your own yard. Um, and I'm sure you didn't intend on, you know, writing this through the pandemic. And then you also touch on the, you know, the loss of your father around the same time as you're writing all of this. How was writing a book as, you know, we're, we're seeing people talk about the wildlife's rebounding, we're shutting down and, and coming, everybody kind of seeing that yeah. impact. And yeah, I guess maybe talk a little bit about that writing this book during a very yeah. chaotic time in your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the first, let's see, the first year of the pandemic was 2020, right? Um, mm -hmm. I know. Um, <laughs> all blends together now. Yes. Um, and yeah, I remember my neighbors saying, oh my gosh, it's so quiet. And these are some of my neighbors who they're really nice, but they, they have a really loud mower. <laughs> and, and I, I was hearing people like use their power tools more because they were home more. Yes. But what they were hearing was lack of highway noise and things like that. Um, and it was really interesting because that's, around the time that scientists were able to start doing these comparison studies, um, like the one in California uh, where they, they um, looked at the white crowned sparrows and compared their bird song near the San Francisco bridge and other places to um, what, what it had been going way back to the fifties and sixties. Wow. Um, yeah, and finding that they were able to recover some of their vocal range or maybe all of their vocal range in some cases. And they had been, you know, narrowing it in order to compete with the with the traffic noise because that it can mask their bird song at, at different frequencies. And so um so that was interesting. But then there were so many other studies going on too at that time. And and um and but for me personally. Also, it even though I, I work from home now full time um, as a writer, I I I still you know I, I had been traveling more, giving talks and things like that, and then all of a sudden I was giving talks from my basement, and <laughs> I was able to just be here a lot more, and so I could I could go outside and you know that's the first time i, I saw i've i've seen toad emergences before but i saw like a massive one in the middle oh, wow. of the afternoon one day yeah and you know just like 
the male frogs doing tumbling all over each other during their release calls and, and just because I happen to be out there it only happens you know a little bit each year and so I got to see a lot because of that and I I get to see a lot here anyway but it was it was definitely much more intense um and then the next year my father died uh it's been two years ago april 30th um 2021 and he um it you know i i still feel like he's here i still haven't really accepted it he's here like in all the trees and all the every every all the nature that i see out here i just just feel like he's around me but um having that grief to go through and taking care of my mom and and all of that really changed how I approached the book because um you know I I had been planning to travel and go try to hang out with scientists and doing their studies on noise pollution and light pollution and things mm -hmm. like that and I really didn't get to do much of that at all um both because of the pandemic and because of what was going on with my family. So, right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up doing, you know, these sort of flat screen interviews with a lot of people that were, I was, you know, I would think <laughs> about usually when we meet up with each other, we don't realize it, but we're smelling each other and we're three dimensional and there's yeah. all these sensory experiences that we have that we don't have on Zoom. And so, um, yeah, it yeah. was, you think about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You feed off the body language and you feed off, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, interaction. You don't. Yeah, you're right. You we don't realize how much we lost. And I mean, yeah. I think that was I think that was brought up. You know, when everybody was talking about Zoom school and how much was lost with you know kids who couldn't ha see eye contact yeah. with the teachers and and all of that. And so I think that translates. You know, to the human world, everything that yeah. you you have written about. I think that obviously we're animals. <laughs> we have right. similar setups to all of this. Right. Um, so it's. Uh, I think it's fascinating how you can manage to to, to connect both of those issues. Yeah, it, it makes you think differently when you go through stuff like that. I think we all kind of changed from that, didn't we? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think people have already lost it all. <laughs> the things <laughs> yeah. they learned during that time. So we're back to <laughs> yeah. not great stuff. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I liked how you broke down the book. You know, you have all of the different uh, senses broke down, you know, by chapter and lots of just interesting little tidbits of knowledge that, you know, I didn't think about, obviously, because, you know, I, I, I think I, I think I think about all things, but obviously I'm still learning. <laughs> There's all sorts right, of perspectives right. that I don't know about. It. And so you brought so many interesting uh, perspectives and studies and scientists and perspectives that I never would have thought about. And, you know, I can only hope that, you know, this is just another book that will get other people to rethink about how they're approaching their yards and not even the yard, just beyond uh, into their own wild spaces, their public lands and how they interact with them instead of, you know, uh, just seeing, but not really seeing, not hearing, not smelling yeah. and, and, and approaching it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, I think, you know, there's one of the things that really, um, I, I really, I really became interested in 
the concept of while writing it was the touchscape. Um, mm-hmm. And just because I think it's something, um, when you talk about planting native plants and helping pollinators and helping wildlife and giving, you know, giving cover and water and, and food, there's all these other little things in the space that if we don't take the time, if we don't take the time to learn about it or watch, we, we don't know what's happening. And so it, it reminded me of, of it again this weekend when I was at a class um, we were hosting for our local bee city group on native BID. And we were at a place where they were doing a lot of great pollinator plantings and they had some wild spaces too. Um, but one of the more public areas that had just the day before dumped a ton of mulch uh, mm. ar- around all the native plants and it was sort of like this sloping kind of like probably what was built as a rain garden and mm-hmm. and um and the speaker when we went outside to look for bees and help people learn to idea she noticed that all these mother bees were trying to get to the ground like mm. they they were trying to get back to their nests <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know, they were ground nesting probably early spring mining bees or cellophane bees and, but they had been covered over in mulch. So wow. like, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so sad, right? Yeah. 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 We don't think about that. We're, we're looking at the visual aesthetic part of that and not what the actual animals are needing and you know most people don't even realize there's ground nesting bees to begin with right and then you have to get over the hump of telling them okay when i say ground nesting bees don't freak out because they're solitary and they're they're not scary at all they don't you won't even notice them you know Um, and it's yeah it's it's really interesting and so to try to try to take that one piece at a time and explain it is um is challenging and 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 I, I hoped that I could just get people to think in these different layers about these different layers of the landscape and different sensory I guess layers too mm-hmm. yeah you, you, you just talk about the ground nesting bees last summer I was able to see I was at home at lunch just doing my garden tour uh pull a few weeds while I go back to work and looking <laughs> and there was a a uh velvet ant velvet wasp uh coming oh, in um, and out of a out coming in and out of a hole for the ground for her nest and I was just like uh, this is amazing and I was watching her you know sat there for a few minutes watch her to like moving the dirt out and going back uh, in to dig more out and so I took a video and I sent it to my husband he's like oh my gosh that's so cool and so you know, cool. I you know we had seen them walking around our yard before on the on the paths, but I had never actually seen that. And I just thought well, that's really cool that I had that opportunity. And yeah. you know, they are famous for their sting. You don't want to be near them, <laughs> but <laughs> right. stay a healthy distance and uh, watch. It was really cool. And you know, if yeah, I didn't have much mulch in that bed at the moment. I think it had all, you know, degraded. And I was like, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that ground was bare for you. <laughs> yeah. And how did you, how did you, was it your site that alerted you to her presence? Yeah, it was, it was my site. I think I was just looking down. I was probably looking for a weed to pull and just happened to notice it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how I usually see stuff too. Just do it, just weeding or something. And I, the, I have in the book that part about, I, I, 
was able to watch the mud dabber wasp collect her mud for her uh, the organ pipe mud dabber wasp because I heard her. Um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, and I, and we had just excavated a little pond. It was the first summer of the pandemic. And, and so we had all this like clay wet. It, it rained a lot that summer too. So we had a lot of wet clay and, she sounded like I heard this sound that sounded like buzz pollination <laughs> and um and it was the mud organ pipe mud dabber wasp and my husband was like well you know um maybe she's going over to the under the deck because that's where we see their tubes mm -hmm. and we went over there and sure enough wow. there she was building and stretching the mud balls yeah and then I learned while researching the book that's the same exact you know, sonication, it's the same mechanism that they used to do that to build the nest and mine the mud that the hmm. bees use for buzz pollination. Wow. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. And it was quiet. That's why I could hear it. Right. It quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody else, I mean, they may have heard it, but passed it off as who knows what and not really went to investigate, but you knew, you knew enough to go, Hey, that's something odd. Let's go check that out. Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe because I'd heard and learned buzz pollination sounds, you know, just by mm -hmm. watching them on the flowers, it sounded familiar, but it was coming from the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were actually, that, I mean, sound reminds me, we were just talking to my husband, uh, we were at a camp out this weekend, and uh, we were talking about bats. And with a group of other people and he's like my husband's like you know i've gotten pretty good at being able to hear their chirps and knowing hearing them before i see them wow um because we have a bat box at our house a oh, big wow. bat house and so he spends a lot of time listening to them yeah. and uh and even i can do that but i'm not probably nearly as good as he is and so he's like yeah i've gotten really good at just listening and hearing and then been looking for the bats before that yeah it's such a neat experience because it's like that's just like wow that there's all these voices around you that you didn't actually realize until yeah, yeah you start to pay attention like that yeah well now i'm thinking of just so many other different things on that same subject because <laughs> yeah. i didn't think we had spring peepers down here and this summer there was it was i guess early march maybe february you know, I'm hearing this loud chorus in the evenings. I'm just thinking, oh. well, it's obviously a frog, but I don't know which species. And so I just record the sound for iNaturalist. And I'm like, well, let's figure it out. And it's telling me it's spring peeper. And I'm like, well, let's what I go to Google. What does a spring peeper sound? Sure enough, it's <laughs> a huge thing of spring peepers. And I'm like, I don't, obviously they've sure they've been there for years. Right. I just didn't realize what they were. And I thought that was just like another revelation. Like, okay, I really need to learn to listen more. We, in the, I think you even mentioned this in there is talking that we have, I mean, there's plant blindness, but we have a, you know, a cultivated deafness to hearing our environment too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it was Kurt Fristrup at he swore her national park service coined that phrase of learned learned deafness and mm -hmm. um yeah and and there's a couple things that like der that derives from and then ar that arise from that and um and one of the things that got me to start thinking about it was that um you know we can we can tune things out when we want to and we're 
so unfortunately good at that. We can go inside, we can turn up the music, we can put on our headphones and um and we have all kinds of ways of of not hearing the world, but animals just can't. They have to live out there. And so it's so unfair to inflict you know, you know, like and I, I'm thinking, I think probably what also got me thinking about that originally was just any a lot of the time when you see the people on their giant tractor mowers around here, they've got their they've got their headphones on and they're listening to the radio and they're blocking out some of that noise. But I mean the all the animals that are nesting around here and you know they can't so i think people might think oh well they can just fly away or something well they, well they can't oh well, they're raising their young there and mm -hmm. um and you know a lot of animals are their home range is so small it's like just right near us like box turtles you know just right wakers yeah. and yeah and so um so that's that's um something that i i really wanted to try to help people think about and then um and then the the idea that you can like we we're talking about just a little bit ago once you turn it down and just start to listen you can even start to learn new species that are all around yeah. you. or you can understand even if you know the species like a squirrel you can start to understand the difference between the sound of a squirrel behind you bearing a nut or you know maybe it's actually a brown thrasher or a white-throated mm -hmm. sparrow or somebody else kicking up the leaves and and everybody makes a different sound right yeah <laughs> and um and yeah and i they I mean, they're using these this sound for so many different ways of communicating, and and the disruption of that is so um, damaging to mm -hmm. their life cycles. And so, um, yeah, sound was another really. That's probably what launched my whole interest in doing the book and sensory stuff. Was yeah, yeah. We tune out. We listen to lawnmowers, we listen to traffic, we tune everything else out. And if we're not focused in on the animals and the stuff that is actually there, we can't really appreciate it because then it's gone before we know it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, and there's all these avoidance behaviors for birds that they won't even come near an area that's noisy, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think... There was some research that I included in the book about migratory birds avoiding noisy areas around the world. And then also some of the more common birds um, or birds people think of as common. I hate that yeah. word. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not, nobody's necessarily common anymore. And even if they are, it's like just yeah. makes it sound like somehow they don't need to be protected but it was i think it was nut hatches and goldfinches mm, what was the other one it might have been cedar waxwings and that they were avoiding um you know residential areas hmm. with um yeah with um uh yeah cedar waxwings white-breasted nut hatches and american goldfinches avoiding areas with excessive noise. And I think that was 
like data they had gotten through the bird feeding studies at Cornell and so or or data um census data and um so yeah I mean there's so many different ways that we wouldn't even know we're affecting these animals yes yes well kind of pivot a little bit and something that's making me think about other other senses a little mm -hmm. bit uh so one one thing that's pretty pervasive on my my next door, which is, you know, a trash bin half the time. <laughs> I don't know if you ever go on next door or that app, but, uh, you know, people like to share the wildlife that they see and things like that. And, you know, from time to time, someone will share a Luna moth. They're like, wow, it's amazing. I never see them anymore. And I'm like, that's because you burn the leaves in your yard or you're mowing yeah. the leaves. And, you know, you try to tell folks that, you know, leaving your yard a little bit messy, leaving the the leaves around the base of your tree so that these so that you can see a Luna moth. Um, it's really hard to get people to move beyond, you know, seeing it's messy and seeing <laughs> that it's not aesthetic to them, even though, I mean, we're in a, I would say, semi-rural area uh that's rapidly becoming suburban yeah um, it's still plenty of places with you know acre lots <laughs> yeah. so it has that rustic feel in a way and they could certainly leave a little portion of their yard just a little bit wild for yeah these uh insects and you know i think it also you know touches on you know fireflies which you also mentioned too like the lawnmower is one of the greatest enemies of the flower firefly um yeah, yeah, talk a little bit about that and and how detrimental you know that is to the insect populations. Yeah, um, yeah, and your your area sounds exactly like mine, semi rural, but uh, becoming more and more suburban, and people just mow down large acreages and um, and yeah, it, you you don't have to do it all, but. The problem is that often people are just like doing nothing, you know, they're just, or rather they're doing, they're doing all out destruction Yeah, <laughs> and they don't have to leave everything for wildlife to make a difference. I mean, but uh, yeah, it's the, 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 the lack of, of leaf layers, the lack, the lack of downed wood, um, the lack of mosses, those are all things that are super important to fireflies. And um, I think it was Ben Pfeiffer who I quoted saying the fire, the lawnmower's enemy of the firefly. And I loved that. He he does, he actually is in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Firefly.org. Yeah. And, um, and he was talking about the same thing about people in his community mowing right up to the water. Um, and, and one of the things that got me really interested in promoting firefly habitat was that it's also, I mean, because fireflies deserve it, but also it's so emblematic of what so many different insects and other animals mm -hmm. need. And, you know, if you leave everything that firefly needs and you nurture your habitat for that, you're going to have like the Luna moth and the like butterflies galore and so many native bees and and so much food for the mammals you won't even care that they're eating some of the plants because <laughs> and um and so what i loved about you know the fireflies is that they um they you know they'll lay eggs in 
they need the moisture areas, right? So they'll lay eggs and mosses and rotting wood and um and under the leaves <laughs> and and they and they can't they can't take the light pollution yeah and they need darkness around them so you also need trees you know to block out if you've got people with lights on in the neighborhood so mm -hmm. um yeah i think that people um i think that they're just still you know people follow the crowd and they're still lacking in examples and it's really interesting because i like i i i think my place is amazing you know yeah <laughs> and, and of course i do um but like i worry when i have to have like yesterday we had um a local tv station came because we were they were interested in doing something on no mo may through our b city campaign which i'm involved with and um And we were a little bit, my co-chair and I were a little bit worried about like, well, where are we going to do this? Okay, we could do this here at my house, but are they going to be overwhelmed? Is it like too wild? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and no, but they were so excited as soon as they got out of the car. They're like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And, and this is, and I think it's because there are the pathways There is structure, there are chairs, you know, there's lots of bird baths. We also yesterday had a contractor come who's, you know, we've been friendly with for years. He's helped us with a lot of stuff and he was looking at our deck, it's falling apart. And mm -hmm. he has never, he's always seemed mystified to me about our outside. He's never commented on it. And a couple of times he's just like walk right through the garden when he's doing stuff. <laughs> so I'm like... use the path and he's like oh I didn't know that I thought that was just weeds <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> that was a few years ago but now he came and he was looking around and he's like you have a really nice place back here and I was shocked I mean wow so I think yeah and 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 he was asking about like you must have so many animals here and and I think that Well, two things. Once for a while, we were probably going through that transition phase, you mm -hmm. know, which is always awkward. <laughs> it's like the native plants aren't quite grown in yet. We still have the the invasives around the edges, you know, and mm -hmm. and you're you're just like, it's it's not like just put in your annuals and mow all around it and it looks neat and pretty. You ha you have to wait for things to fill in and. So that's one thing. I think it's finally all filled in. And and um, another thing is I think we did, yeah, we did add more of those cues to care um, with the pathways yeah. and all of that. But I, I, so I don't know. I mean, I just feel like people don't, people don't know yet because they haven't seen it enough. They haven't internalized it enough. And I, I mean, I just read an article um, in the Wall Street Journal this morning about, The problems with no mo may um mm -hmm. which we talked about with the reporters yesterday yeah too. um and but they were they were showcasing a yard in white plains new york and it was well, not a yard it was a habitat but it was beautiful and it was like structure and all of this and the writer called you know just just by just just like not even thinking about it, i'm sure like the neighbors you know, some of them get upset with her unruly yard. And you can see in the pictures, there's nothing unruly about it. <laughs> it's just that it's not flat grass, right? Right. And they just, 
there could be other terms to use and the author didn't choose to use yes. the right term, right? Yes. I and one of them did one of them the New York Times wrote about my sisters in one of their like roundup daily newsletters um a few months ago. My sister won her HOA case. Yeah, that was big. She, it was big and uh, Maryland law passed partly because of that. And so there was this story in the New York Times and the daily roundup of all this, you know, they send this newsletter to subscribers. And the guy who writes that said something about, you know, her overgrown yard. And I was oh, just, gosh. and I wrote an email to him, you know, like, I know you didn't mean it, but this is what that's, you know, that implies. And that's not true. And he never wrote me back. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, words matter, like how we were talking about this and how you're talking yeah. about it with other people. And, and trying to explain and, and correct people and say what it really means because you know we're all taught how to frame things from a very young age and how what's acceptable yeah. not acceptable and so even if someone's learning they still hold some of those yes things in our brains and belief systems and it's hard hard to shed for sure Yes. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I guess it's, it's like the, the forces of society are so pervasive and they're coming from so many directions. It's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can only, you can only educate so much. You just have to keep doing what you're doing and hope, and it yeah. sounds like, you know, people are willing to eventually come around like your contractor <laughs> seeing yeah. that and going, okay, I see what they're doing here now. I understand. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's a, that's a huge step, I think. Um, yeah. It's, you know, even if someone doesn't go home and say, I'm going to do this myself now, well, then maybe they don't complain about their neighbor doing it anymore. Not that he ever did, but like, you know, right. maybe we can change minds in that way too a little more. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I certainly don't know how to change minds. I feel like sometimes that, we're too grandiose in our goals. Like, you know, is, is a homegrown national park really going to happen? Is it really feasible? Are we actually going to be able to get enough people on, on, on board to, to start doing this? And um, when, when everybody else has, you know, so much on their plates already, how can we get them to focus on that? And yeah, I know you, you go back and forth between, at least I do. It's like, being really hopeful about it and then seeing all the lawn and being like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> or we're talking to a sympathetic person who's like, that's great, but I don't have time. And it's exactly. Just- exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I have plenty of people like that. They're like, they can appreciate it. They are interested in it. They're just, you know, their head or their heart is just not in yeah. it for the long haul or, or to do it. And, or they don't even know where to begin. And I understand that aspect of it, not knowing where to begin, but <laughs> you just yeah. start by, getting one plant you start by building one little you know putting out a hummingbird feeder just to see the hummingbirds you know to learn that and then then maybe you start buying hummingbird plants and things like that yeah yeah exactly and then and so also you know people when they when they ask now how do you start one of the things I say is is sometimes you also just have to stop before you start anything yes stop and look around and see what you already have and see you know things you may not have noticed that are that are native plants coming up if you leave one little patch unmowed in the back or something like that um that happens all the time here um 
with either seeds that are brought in by animals or they were already here in the seed bank. And, you know, so that's a possibility depending on where you live or just noticing like who's visiting, what animals are visiting and um, what they're making use of already in your yard. And then, and then just like stopping the bad stuff, even just mm -hmm. stop, stopping the pesticides, stop the leaf blowing. I mean, my God, there's like people that leaf blow, um, you know, in the summer here now, which never happened. And they're just kind of doing it. It's usually the companies. The yeah. Oh, but people do it with, um, you know, like we, we have a pool and a few couple of years during the pandemic, one of those years, um, we had some people, did we have them come and open it? We usually open it, but I think we were injured or something. Okay. <laughs> and they um, offered to, or they didn't even offer, they just started leaf blowing around mm. the, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And my husband ran out there like, don't Stop do it. it. <laughs> Stop right now. And they were just like, oh, you really, you don't want us to do this? I mean, no. Yeah. It's such a anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're a freak of nature if you... <laughs> Yeah, literally. If you, do. you don't want the leaves blown. What? Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't even probably leaves, right? It was just like a little bit of dirt or dust, yeah, or right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. we definitely and and you know I think it's the same. You know the the mow and blow companies, uh, they're on a schedule and they're getting paid because they're on a contract. And so they come, whether it needs to be mowed or blowed or not. And yeah. Um, and I don't know how we change that. That's a much more pervasive, <laughs> bigger issue. Right. Cause that's their financial model. Correct. Correct. And, as, and as you want to say to people, you're being totally duped here. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a bit, a bit. I guess it, it takes the. You have to be empathetic to, to the wildlife and insect life before you can get to that point. And I think that's the, you know, you talk about that a, a little bit too in the book is you know cultivating the empathy and understanding. What yeah. what their their needs for whatever you know sense or, whatever they're doing in their life cycle, um, you have to be able to understand and i think that's what the important thing about like all of these you know different apps to identify things whether it's you know the bird apps and plant apps and things like that i think when people understand and know and can identify something yeah and read a little bit about it that's the bridge that needs to be gapped it really is and you know and it's it's interesting like we can do that i think with a lot of people with varying levels of of success in terms of helping them find the resources to answer their questions or address their fears or talking to them about different ways that other animals are using or other organisms in general are using that outdoor space and um and, you know, I think, again, it goes back to our cultural, um, the way that we grow up in this culture, thinking about humans as being above all else. Mm -hmm. And, and even, even now, I mean, 
the studies that come out on a new bee behavior or a new um a new skill skill set of of an animal basically yeah. <laughs> that's discovered it they'll, they'll still say there'll still be these articles saying a behavior previously thought to only occur in primates or primates oh. and dolphins or, <laughs> right and it's like well why did why did we why do we why do we always start from that direction like <laughs> it's only with us and <laughs> i mean where did that come from right and, you know, and the idea of sentience of, all, you know, all beings in some way and the fact that they're, you know, they've got unique skill sets and things that we could never imagine doing, mm -hmm. you know, and then the contributions that they're making. And, and I just heard about, I did, haven't, it was probably in Steve Buckman's new book, um, on bees what is it called uh, what a bee knows I think. Hmm, I think I've heard of it um and but the speaker this weekend referenced like research showing that young bees actually play like they did some testing oh that's cool isn't that cool I mean just and just like all these things that we assume because things don't look like us, mm -hmm. you know, and people do that to each other too, because yes. they look different from each other and that they must be. And it, so we make these assumptions that like we couldn't ever possibly relate. And um, sure, we don't have antennae, but we, we have feelings. We can feel pain. And why wouldn't an insect be able to? And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think um, sometimes, you know, people are used to being so empathetic towards their pets and, and so that, and that's a good entree into understanding that here's a completely different animal um, and you know that they have emotions and you know that they are smart in their own ways and, um, and so maybe taking that leap with people and saying, well, why wouldn't a groundhog be, you know, right. why right. wouldn't a snake be? Um, yeah. Yeah. Snakes is a, that's a big topic to get, <laughs> get in <laughs> with people. <laughs> yeah. In the, yeah. Well, Just, I had a neighbor who has a dog who, who um, is really sweet, but is like, she they let them run out and catch animals i guess i haven't seen it but she was telling me about it one day and said that the they she, he brought a he, he brought a, a ground a groundhog mm. to the door and and you know she was kind of laughing about it and i was like that's so sad and that is Ugh. yeah and then she's like well he's a ratter and i'm like okay that's some ancient term that isn't <laughs> <laughs> you don't really need that now do you right so and then she said he he was fighting with a snake and I was and the snake was budding you know doing the twirl curling around and yeah I don't know what that's called with the head um, jutting out but I was mm -hmm. like that means he's scared he was scared of your dog and she just no no he was being aggressive I'm like it's a black rat, black rat snake. He's not aggressive. Not aggressive. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah. I mean, and I always think, well, maybe some, somebody will think about that conversation later. I mean, I do. I don't always react when people tell me something I didn't know right away, but mm -hmm. I think about it. Um, and maybe later it'll mean something to them. No, that, that same thought process. I mean, I'm sure it's ubiquitous across the whole country and probably other countries as well. But I, you know, I encounter that same sort of thing when I see things on people posting online about they're animals like my dog got this or my cat brought this. Yay. And I'm like, no. no <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, and then it's like, uh, do I wade into this? Uh, no, I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. sometimes other people will, but, and it's just. Always you know. so grateful to those people. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm glad you're dealing with it. Not me. <laughs> I've been addressing it in my talks and I wrote an article recently on like last year on dog um, you know, being more careful with your dogs because, and there's, I think, some city initiatives about that too. But it's because it's so, it's, it's so pervasive with, especially with mammals, where that's how they often, why they get trapped a lot and mm -hmm. relocated or worse. <laughs> yeah. Because their dogs got into some kind of snafu. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, um, that's a, it's a big issue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we have, I think a lot, a lot going for us in, in trying to educate folks and get them to see the natural world. But I think we still have a long way to go. Um, yeah. but I think it's these little conversations, you know, you're having people who are reading your books, people who read any information you put online um and then you know all the other people who are all doing the same thing yeah. you know it seeps in you know they may not accept the whole conversation they may not accept it all but you know they start with loving monarchs <laughs> whatever <laughs> right. it is that gets them into it right that's, that's good for sure and it's definitely changed a lot i mean we have a lot to be i think excited about in terms of the overall sentiment i mean it's just it's just hard when it's in when it's in your face in your neighborhood yeah um, it doesn't feel like you're making as much change but one person at a time you know yeah. we have a few people who have taken us up on our um offers for plants and mentioning the county tree giveaways and things like that so um yeah, yeah. those are always <laughs> good good places yeah. to start and I know, um, you know, you're just now, the book just came out, you're doing, you know, speaking engagements and trying to promote this book, but, you know, I hope this isn't your, your last book. I hope you have more things to write about. I really appreciated, you know, your, your just perspective of your own backyard, um, your chipmunk adventures and, and things like that. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe there'll be like a backyard memoir in the future or something. <laughs> <laughs> By a chipmunk. Yes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I know. You, I'm sure you don't have anything planned, but do you have you, do you, I guess, want to talk about like your talks and things like that, that may be coming up that people can uh, listen in on or see you in person? Yeah, I, I put them on my website. Um, I have an events page tab on the homepage, humangardener.com. Um, 
but and oftentimes you know since we do do a lot of zoom talks now um they're free usually um when they're virtual um and i think i, I have some in-person ones coming up in the fall in massachusetts north carolina virginia um so yeah i guess maybe just look at that page because okay. whenever i'm able to yeah to update it i do um like when the group confirms on their own pages i'll add it okay. and yeah i did some recently like that for smithsonian gardens and um i did I, for a lot of the wild ones groups and they oh, yeah. usually don't charge yeah um, and then, and usually I'm doing it on my, on the current book, A World of Discovery, but I've still done doing them on the previous book. And then I'm also doing talks, like I'm doing a local one on how to fight plants with plants, which is using those um, vigorous native plants mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> to outcompete the invasives. And then I'm doing like a mammal coexistence talk and stuff like that. So Cool. Yeah. You cover across the board. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, well, you mentioned your website is, and you're pretty active on Facebook and somewhat on Instagram. So I will put those links in the show notes, but do you have any final thoughts about, about this book and what you want people to take away from it when they read it? Um, yeah. I, well, thanks for asking. I think probably I would just like people to, um, maybe tr start to, to start to kind of tap into their own instincts and start to explore um, and not be afraid to explore because um, sometimes I think people think they don't know much or they have to have some kind of expertise, you know, to start making these discoveries in their own yards. And you really don't you you really develop that expertise by exploring yeah. <laughs> and by looking at things and listening and and just you know just just making yourself sit still don't don't just don't pick up your phone for half an hour and mm -hmm. it's amazing what happens all around you so um i guess i would just encourage people to to try to get to know their wild neighbors in that way and and not be not be afraid of their lack of knowledge because everyone has something interesting, interesting thoughts to bring to it and interesting questions. Um, and you never, you just never know what you're going to find and see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thank you for taking the time to talk to me again. I it was always a pleasure to talk to you and to read uh, anything you put out, whether it's a book or information you're sharing on your blog and website. Um, I always learn something new and a different way to think about things. And I hope other people will do the same when they read your book. Well, thank you so much, Misty. It's been great talking with you. That's it for my conversation with Nancy Lawson, author of the new book, Wildscape. You can find information about Nancy and where to find her book at thegardenpathpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast over the years. And I look forward to returning to more gardening conversations later this year. Hope everyone has a wonderful spring and summer in the garden. Until next time, happy gardening.